Marvel Team Up, issue 79, came out on December 19th, 1978, 42 years ago from the very day I am recording this. It was written by Chris Claremont, with art by John Byrne and Terry Austin, and Byrne also co-plotted it. So Claremont gives himself the lofty title of author, which I'm sure pissed Byrne off, as the Oxford English Dictionary claims that an author creates... But if the story is co-plotted with someone else, then there is no single author. Whatever feeds your ego, I guess. Marvel Team-Up, for those listening to this who were unaware, was a comic book series published by Marvel featuring team-ups between two or more characters. It does exactly what it says on the tin. It primarily featured Spider-Man and ran for 150 issues from December 1971 to November 1984. It's a very hit-and-miss title, often having to jump through hoops to explain why notorious non-team player Spider-Man would happily join forces with any Reed, Sue or Ben every month, whilst telling a story that often had no consequences or wrapped up dangling plots from other recently cancelled titles. As such, there are a few genuine classic issues of team-up. It's a textbook definition of... It's alright. This issue, however, is something special. First off, Spider-Man teams up with Red Sonia, a character he can't possibly meet, because she exists in the Hiberian Age and mostly knocks about with Conan, a character only Roy Thomas felt was part of the Marvel Universe. Secondly, it's really, really good. Sadly, it's little reprinted these days, as Marvel, despite creating the character, don't own the rights to Red Sonia. As part of Conan, she's owned by Robert E. Howard's estate. Where this means this issue stands now, with Marvel claiming the Conan rights back a few years ago, is anyone's guess. I imagine we'll only know for sure when the masterworks get up to this point. Anyway, the cover, of which I have the actual issue here, none of this digital filth, features an all-white bad man in a silly hat, facing Red Sonja on the left and Spider-Man on the right. As if to imply the problems of the team-up, which I've just mentioned, they are bifurcated in the middle. My copy is a Marvel all-colour comic. Note the spelling of the word colour and cost 12 pence. These were produced by Marvel specifically for overseas sales and were printed first, before the Sense editions, meaning mine is a first print and yours isn't. The Sword of the She-Devil actually dates the story, 22nd of December 1978, the date I will release this on, but separated by 42 years, if I get all my ducks in a row. This is Ruhr. Marvel had pretty much moved away from ageing their characters in real time at this point, subscribing to the Marvel Time Theory, that time in the Marvel Universe is slightly slower than time in our universe. So Peter Parker in this story won't be 30, as he would be, but probably more around 21, 22 years of age. The splash page is brilliant. Byrne never had a better inker than Terry Austin, and Spidey swinging in front of the Metropolitan Museum of Art is gorgeous. Spider-Man is running late because he lost track of time at Sissy's. He mentions being late for meeting Robbie, but this makes no sense, as we'll see, because we're going to focus on his line, lost track of time at Sissy's. We all know what he means by that, right? Boom chicka wah wah! For those unaware, Sissy Ironwood was Peter's friend with benefits around this time, and nobody on the writing staff seemed to give a shit about Sissy apart from Chris Claremont. Like Fetch, Sissy Ironwood was never going to happen. Now, this is a Chris Claremont story, so Spider-Man swinging past the Metropolitan Museum of Art is no accident. Inside, security guard Gus Havanas, which sounds like Hosannas, which is apt given this is a Christmas story, is doing his rounds. As per Clermont, Havanas is given a full backstory in three panels. This is good, because it means we cur when poor old Gus is compelled to grab an amulet by a language more than 9,000 years old echoing in his head. This is a great opener. As with the TV show of this time period, this works as a teaser, compelling the viewer, much like Gus, into watching the show. It's very odd to me that modern-day writers ache to get their stuff sold to television because, as Professor Middleton has pointed out, it's all about the money, whereas Clermont pulled off an episodic TV structure with ease 42 years ago. 
Spider-Man, meantime, has arrived at the Daily Bugle, and dons his civvies replete with seasonal Christmas jumper in the men's room. Now, you'd think the Daily Bugle's men's room would be one of those nice ones, with air fresheners and towels and little mints, but it looks like the worst toilet in Scotland. Still, Peter manages to change, avoiding the piss-strewn floor and feces-encrusted toilet bowls, and enters the Bugle's Christmas party. Peter's entrance is why the late-for-meeting-Robbie line is a head-scratcher. It's a party. It's not a meeting between Peter and Robbie. Peter is simply arriving stylishly late, especially as he doesn't even meet with Robbie when he arrives. The art is, again, stunning, with the bustling city room, complete with visiting Clark Kent. Yes, Clark, fresh from his movie's New York premiere, I'll wager, is chatting with Robbie Robertson. Glory Grant, who knows a muscular geek when she sees one, seems to be eyeing him up. For reasons never adequately explained, Mary Jane Watson, who hasn't been seen since around Amazing Spider-Man issue 191 or thereabouts, is attending the Daily Bugle's Christmas party. Why? Who invented Mary Jane? Especially given that the last time she and Peter were together, Peter stood her up and Mary Jane swore that she was done with him forever. Apparently, this isn't the case, as she's just randomly shown up at the Bugle's Christmas party because she's missing some Peter Parker action, and she pulls Mr. P under the mistletoe for some lip lockage. Of course, an issue of MTU spent at the Bugle's Christmas party, fun as that may be, probably would feel a little like voyeurism. We're here for the action. Robbie receives a call and summons Peter and a reporter named Charlie Snow as the only non-drinkers on staff to head over to the Metropolitan Museum of Art as some bad shit is going down. Checking out a bugle radio car, Peter and Charlie head for the Metropolitan Museum of Art, but with a stowaway, Mary Jane Watson. Okay, MJ has never shown any interest in getting involved with Peter's assignments before, and she and Peter are pretty much on the outs this time, so her going with him seems really out of character for her, but I guess Clermont needed a redhead for Red Sonia to join with, and MJ, as our resident redhead, was nominated. They arrive at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where a blood-hued beam of living flame emanates from the building. Everyone freaks out, including Murray Jane, who turns into Sue Richards for a moment, asking of Peter, but what does it all mean? Peter, of course, has disappeared. Mary Jane isn't sure where he's disappeared to, despite the retcon that she knows he's Spider-Man and has known since she was 15, even thinking, Oh, Peter, you're not cut out to be a hero. She manages to wander in through the police cordon, through the crowds and through the doors which aren't being guarded or anything. Burns' art as Spider-Man stalks through the museum is stunning, using the darkness and shadows perfectly and capturing the body language of the character. Page 6, panels 4 and 5 are simply wonderful. Murray Jane stumbles upon Spider, who's been caught up in a battle with some slimy monsters. MJ backs up, terrified, but her hand is drawn to a glowing sword. She grabs the hilt, and Murray Jane Watson ceases to be. In her place, Red Sonia lives again. Red Sonia arriving is a splash page, and it's fair to say, Burn and Austin know the way around the female form. Sonia looks stunning, considering it's merely lines on a page. Sonya's arrival creates the distraction Spidey sorely needs, and the two of them fight the slime demons and uncover the real foe, Cool and Gaff. Sadly, Spider-Man and Sonya speak different languages, and this misunderstanding renders their ability to communicate null and void, leaving Cool and Gaff to conquer all. I think this was my first inkling as a kid that Sonya, and by extension Conan, didn't speak English, but that's my bias showing through. After all, why would they? I don't recall if this came up any other time Conan made his way to our world, though. Anyway, Gath ties up our heroes and then explains his dastardly plot. Yes, it's true that Sonya cut his heart out when last they met, but that just was a mere scratch, and he simply transferred his soul into an amulet, an amulet that has, over time, found its way to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and, subsequently, into the hands of Gus Havanas, and this purely fortunate confluence of events meant that tonight was the night that Gath could resurrect himself. What that confluence of events was is never adequately explained. 
Another simple spell means that Spider-Man can understand him, if not Sonya. Spider-Man isn't really paying attention, though. Gath has them both trussed up in a part of the museum that resembles ancient Egypt. But it's really a set. There's nothing real about it. As such, he's able to bring down the structure around him, bringing about his and Sonya's freedom, albeit temporarily. Gath orders his slime demons to defeat them, and it looks like he may actually succeed. Gath, however, has reasoned without taking into account Spider-Man's speed, and he takes matters into his own fists, clocking Gath on the kisser in a wonderful splash page where we should give full credit to colorist Glynis Ween. The punch takes Gath and Sonya through a window, and upon witnessing modern-day New York, albeit 42 years removed, they are so appalled they long to return back whence they came. I don't know what that says about 1970s New York. Fortunately, Spider-Man snatched the amulet, which stuffs Gaff back inside and restores poor Gus. And with that, Sonya also leaves MJ's body. The end, more or less. This is a genuine hidden gem from Team Up. One, I don't know, gets a lot of love, which is a shame, as it's Clermont, Byrne and Austin at the top of their game. Arguably, Team Up was a D-list title for most of its run, but the Clermont Burn run at least pushes it up to B-list, and with this issue at least into the A-team. Why? Well, for starters, this feels like an issue of Amazing Spider-Man rather than Marvel Team Up. Red Sonya's appearance doesn't feel mandated, although it is, because it's not a story where Spider-Man blunders into another hero's problem or happens by when something is going on that doesn't really concern him, but he has to stick around because, well, it's his name selling the book. The opening is pure Peter Parker, with the Daily Bugle scene, Robbie and MJ making appearances, as well as an almost legitimate reason for Peter to be involved in this, a bugle assignment. The rest of the story, being magical-based, isn't really in Spider-Man's ballywick, but he acknowledges this, so we, as the reader, give it a pass. MJ's involvement feels more arbitrary. Why did Red Sonya need a redhead, or even a woman, to occupy for her to appear? She could have just taken over Charlie Snow. Well, that's because, from a story perspective, it makes more sense for it to be MJ. We care about MJ, we know who MJ is, and thus, we have an emotional attachment to her. It's an old storytelling trick. Putting someone we care about in jeopardy creates a shorthand emotional reaction. MJ's appearance is also odd from a continuity perspective. As mentioned, she hadn't been seen for a while, and after this, a few minor cameos aside, she'd disappear for nearly four years, next being seen in Amazing Spider-Man issue 238 in late 1982. Either Clermont wasn't paying attention to what was going on in Amazing Spider-Man at the time, or just didn't care. After all, he wasn't going to shoehorn Betty Brant into this, was he? The story concludes with Peter taking the Staten Island ferry and ditching the amulet in the water. And thus ends this classic Christmas tale. As with Die Hard, one must ask the question, is it really a Christmas story? Does it being set at Christmas really make any difference to the story itself? Well, not really. It's winter dressing, it's setting, the snow looks lovely, it's a Christmas party, it's a Christmas issue. And that's where I stand. It's a good one, and if you can find a copy, I urge you to check one out. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. You heard right, partners. The vigilante rides again. From across the western plains and into the streamlined east flashes a mystery writer, symbolic of the spirit of frontier America, the Vigilante, heroic champion of law and order, who battles 20th century criminals with weapons of the range in a ceaseless one-man stampede against all lawlessness. Follow the victory trail of the prairie troubadour, Greg Saunders, and his alter ego, the Vigilante, as he rounds up public enemy number one, with smoking six-guns and twirling lariat. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunters Vigilante Podcast, climbs into the saddle on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. Okay, there is no email section this time, because you lazy bastards haven't got on your ass and sent me an email, because that's how this section works. I can't read an email if they don't exist. So, as a special Christmas treat, I am presenting to you 
a conversation I had with my good chum, Dr. Bill Robinson. This was initially just us shooting the shit before we recorded something else, but it primarily is devoted to the recent season two concluder to The Mandalorian. As such, spoilers will follow. There was no real critical analysis in here. We didn't have any notes or anything like that. It was off the cuff, just two friends chatting. But Bill has given me permission to share it with you all as a special Christmas present. Isn't that nice? It was recorded with the dreaded Skype recorder, so there's a little bit of distortion on my end. Bill sounds fine. Maybe I need to turn the gain down. Enjoy. Yes. Well, you're you're very ahead of me on the expanse. I'm still at the end of season one, and I took a break. Oh, still. Why were oh. You? Yeah, I took a break. Why? Angela's been catching up with Supernatural, oh, which yeah. has been blitzing through the fifteenth and final season. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been rewatching all of Angel with Anya, so we've got five episodes of that left. Oh, um, oh we want that's to, we want to, yes, we want. We've just got to that one where Illyria appears, and oh. everyone's everyone everyone nowadays is going on about it. it's a Phrygian and it's not feminist and it's misogynistic. And I'm like, no, it's simply a case of he saw that Amy Acker was a much better actor than what she was being given. Yeah. <laughs> it's not oh. much deeper than that. That always that that whole thing all made me so sad for Fred. Mm. It was the only time I liked her. Uh, in that last yeah. episode. Yeah. She was fine, but I always just thought she was Willow Redux. Yeah. And we already had a Willow, so we didn't really need another one. Right. So, well, you know, it is what it is, isn't it? It's 15 years ago now. It doesn't really matter that much. Uh, in the grand scheme of things. Years, uh... Such yeah. a long time. As it goes. Anyway, yeah, Bill and I have got together before we do our regular Let's Talk About Star Trek bullshit podcast thing that we do with everyone else to have a little private moment together to discuss The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, yes. Ben and I watched it. uh, Hello, everyone. You don't often hear from me. Here. (laughs) They often hear from you, just not on here. I've got all the time in the world for Bill. I'm going to put that out on front street. I like Bill a great deal. Oh, well, thank you. He is my chump. And we like we love Ben as well. Oh, yes. Yes, Ben Ben and I have been having a good time. with. Uh, well, I've, I've been home for the past two weeks a lot. Yeah, you've been COVID positive. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, no long lingering side effects. I think I'm about 95% back. Not that I was ever 100%, so I'm probably <laughs> about where I was before. Except I'm a, light, I'm a little bit lighter. So, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Unlike Boba Fett in The Mandalorian, it looks like the last 30 years have been very good to him. He had a, I, th- I think he had a lot of bantha steaks on Tatooine. I think so, yeah. I mean, it certainly doesn't look like he's been re- living rough, does it? I'm surprised that a Bascar armor fitted him. <laughs> well, you know, let's let's talk about that. Because he's, how how long has it been in-universe in The Mandalorian? Because right. Luke, because, well, spoiler, spoiler. Yeah, there are going to be spoilers for season two of The Mandalorian. The character that appeared at the end of season two was still pretty young, and this is only a few years after the end of Return of the Jedi. So it's five years, I believe, right. after the end of Jedi. So really, uh, you know, I mean, I guess he could have packed on a few pounds. I mean, in real life, it's been quite some time since. In real life, it's been fifteen years since Attack of the Clones. No, no, mm. eighteen years since Attack of the Clones. Yeah. In so... real life, now in universe, I was trying to wrap my head around this earlier on because here's what my discussion with my son Michael and with my wife Angela has led us to believe that the only possible outcome of the end of the Mandalorian, in which Luke Skywalker shows up and takes Baby Grogu away with him to join his new Jedi Academy, the only logical extrapolation of this situation that we can come up with is that Kylo Ren kills him when well, he takes out Academy if, in if the you last Jedi. that out to its logical conclusion. Yeah. Unless unless Grogu finished his training and went off and did his own thing, he's but then dead. Luke's not the last Jedi anymore, is he? But he's not now anyway, because apparently Ahsoka's around. Uh, yeah, but Ahsoka was she never fully finished. She did all. not. No. Yeah. yeah so a little with over, the technicality, she's not a quote unquote. She's Jedi. not a Jedi. She's been she's... through the whole of the training, but she dropped out of college before she did her final exam. That's right. She said, "Piss off! I don't need you and your stupid." 
club. Yeah. <laughs> you stupid boys club. I don't need you. Drop my lightsabers and walk. Yeah. So right. So technically, so that's a technicality, dude. But I, yeah. I will allow it to you because clearly that's what the writers are going with. That she's not actually a full Jedi. So yeah, Luke shows up at the end and he takes baby Grogu with him and he presumably takes him to his Jedi Academy that Kylo Ren destroys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> otherwise, Luke's not the last Jedi at the time because, of the last Jedi. Because if you jump forward from that point, yeah. Because when what? Because uh, okay. How, is it going to be like another 15, 20 well, years before before Luke's Academy would be destroyed by Kylo and the Knights yeah, of Ren? it must so, be. Because if, if we're looking if, at this, then, right, so Return of the Jedi was five years ago. Return of the Jedi is four years after Star Wars, making Luke and Leia 23 years old at the time of Return of the Jedi. Revenge of the Sith was 20 years before Star Wars. So those 35 years... 25 years roughly yeah 25 years plus attack of the clones was before the clone Wars, so that's another seven to ten years and so then, Django fett is now what 45 ish i yeah but he did get digested partially by a sarlacc he did so. get I, I loved how they avoided mentioning that we thought you were dead we heard rumors and it's like, yeah, there was a there was a Marvel comic where he survived the Sarlacc pit, and there was a Dark Horse comic where he survived the Sarlacc pit. So what are they saying though? That basically any of those Boba Fett stories that you've read could be true, mm-hmm. and I would like them to leave that ambiguous. Then, so if you subscribe to the Marvel comics one, Jowers of Doom, where he got out of the Sarlacc, then that's valid. And if you like the Dark Horse comics one instead, both are valid. I like that. I think they should yeah, just leave Jawas that and Doom. never explain it. In Jawas of Doom, they put him back in the pit. Yeah, but he got out again. <laughs> he gets knocked down, and he gets up yeah. again. You never, never going to keep him down. down. So, so the ending was everything that everybody who hated The Last Jedi wanted, which was Luke Skywalker waving his lightsaber around and cutting people to bits. And it was fun, and it was exciting, and all of that. Yeah. And it was... And the CG's better than it was at the end of Rogue One, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, Luke's face was more convincing than Carrie Fisher's. Mm, yes. And apparently, I guess that was Mark Hamill. It, well, he got credited. Now, I've not right. done any. I've, we only watched it late last night after we'd been out all day. So I haven't done any research as to whether he did the mocap for it or whether that was just another actor. I kind of doubt that it was him doing all the lightsaber work swinging. No disrespect right. to Mr. Hamill, but he is in his late 60s now. Mm hmm. And that looked like the body of a much younger man. Well, they well there was questions, you know, uh, speculation. Are they going to have Sebastian Stan step in for the young Luke Skywalker? Because he does look mm. like Mark Hamill a bit. Yeah, but they've already done the precedent, haven't they, of, of CGI in Peter yeah. Cushing and Carrie Fisher. And the role was no bigger than what they'd done in Rogue One. It probably blew the budget. Because it was remarkably cheesy, the framing of those shots, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It would always it was always cut off just below his chin. Yeah. So when you were seeing R2 faffing around with Grogu and all that stuff and you'd see him from behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean I I I've been enjoying the Mandalorian. Um I've been loving the Mandalorian. Both I've, I've seasons. I, yeah. Um I think there, I mean, there's been a lot of guest stars that you're like, wait, is that is that Michael Biehn? Yeah, yeah. Oh and my I, God, I love, I love, I love the idea that um, that thing you're Raylan Givens is in Star Wars. Who? Raylan Givens was in Star Wars, so I'm down with that. It's Timothy Oliphant's character. Oh, oh, oh okay, gotcha. Was a marshal. So Lance, essentially, Lance he was Cobb just playing Raylan yeah. Givens. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Bill, Burr, Bill Burr's episode was really good. Yeah, I think that brought a little more depth to his character, other than just being a, a um, you know, because in his previous episode uh, on the on the the New Republic prison barge, where they did the uh, where where they broke out the the crazy Twi'lek, yeah, um, guy, and uh, then they ended up killing. Uh, Anakin, <laughs> yeah, Anakin from the animated series, at least the actor. Uh, so yeah, he got 
he got lumped into that and sent off to prison. So yeah, it was it was a little bit of a redemption. And we learned that there are Southern um, Imperials. <laughs> there are Southern Imperials. Well, that, that's got a precedent, hasn't it? There was a Southern Imperial in The Last Jedi played by, I am completely forgetting his name, Angela Will Kill Me. Uh, he was Picard's clone in Nemesis. Tom Hardy. But his scenes were cut out, but they are on the DVD Blu-ray. So mm. why he played him with a southern accent, I will never know. So they were following on with that Daniel Craig's in The Force Awakens. Yeah. Tom Hardy is in The Last Jedi. I don't know if he did it in Rise of Skywalker. I don't know if there's a famous stormtrooper in that. But he plays it with a southern accent. Mm. So there is precedence for southerners being in yeah. you know in star wars and primarily we've had to live with the fact that everybody who's british is evil apart from obi-wan kenobi so well and we have to live with the fact that everybody from the south is evil too yeah so we we, we get over that and we live with it yeah uh, for the most i've really enjoyed this i've enjoyed the second series much more than i've enjoyed discovery which is also on at the same time i think the second oh, season mandalorian yeah yeah we, we won't go there kettle of fish let's just say I watched the uh, the two part Terraforma. Have you watched the finale? See, I've not watched that yet. Yeah, no, that's not the finale for the season. It's it's just a two parter. Um, oh, is there another it, episode left? Uh, yeah, I was surprised too. I thought this was it, and then uh, so, so the drop so, one on Christmas Day. I don't know because it said on the next next episode. I don't know when it's coming out because I was like, you know what, you guys are really leaving a big thing here till next season because i because i'm kind of you know it's bad when you're watching the clock when you're mm. watching an an episode and, and uh, i'm sitting there going i'm like, I'm like no, there's not enough time here to wrap this story up and go on about this other mysterious signal coming from a nebula playing a song really is is rondy Moore asking <laughs> hey where's my cut you know i did that in battlestar galactica guys what's Whoa. the story here Speaking of Battlestar Galactica, what are the Dark Troopers if not Cylons? <laughs> you know, oh God, they there was. I I don't want to say that I was like a little kid. Being I did. I was very very impressed by how much of a hard time that one Dark Trooper one. and yeah, when it punched Mando. him in the face, I'm like, yeah. oh my God. And yeah. then it punched him again and again. It was driving his head into the wall. I'm thinking, oh my god, is the Beskar going to start to buckle? Because yeah. I'm like, and how how would that feel in you wearing it? And somebody is bong bong yeah. like smacking a bell over your head because he's just driving his head right into the wall. I'm like, oh my god, it was a it was an exceptionally good battle. But even when he flushed about into space, I'm yeah, sat the there first thing I was going. Like, the robots. <laughs> I looked at Ben and I'm like, they're gonna fly right back. Yeah, they, they were flying around last episode. I'm like, they're gonna be back. Yeah, they're gonna come they back. Were. I mean, it's only a temporary reprieve at best. And why did it take them so long? I know plot. Plot why it took so long because they should have just as soon as they got sucked out. I mean, it's it's not like they're gonna sit there and go like, well, uh, what do we do? I don't know. What should we do? Should we fly back? Or do we just wait for out here for orders? You know, it's like that was, uh, but but still, it was good. It was good. Yeah, it was it was an exceptional. It was, I like I liked the one where they basically did the stagecoach. Right. I liked the one where they're just doing cowboy stuff on top of the train. Oh, um, with the um, where where they had the big juggernaut driving. Yeah, and the basically that's every cowboy movie you've ever seen. Yeah, but you know what? The fight on the train, and it was great. Yeah, but they weren't really in the right because those really weren't pirates. Though they were just, they weren't interested in stealing the shipment. They just wanted to destroy it because they're mm. kind of protecting their planet, and they don't. They're, I, I mean, yeah, we were rooting for our, our protagonist, but he really, they really weren't the heroes in this aspect. I mean, they no, were. No, but I, I think they've done a good thing there of walking the line that the the Mandalorian, as he is himself, mm-hmm. he is a bounty hunter. He's not necessarily a clean cut good guy, and it's what he he just happens to be the good guy because he's not on the side of the Empire. Right. 
he's and that just seems to be the stance that they're side. taking with it. Yeah, he's on his own side. I mean, we've we've never really learned what his connection with the baby is, really. Even now, as it stands, he basically well, just went back he's a, on it. Well, it's it's because he was a foundling, and he found the child. So he's like trying to pay it forward when he was found by another Mandalorian. And oh, he was right. given okay. the task by the armorer lady, he says, you must return this child to its kind. That's right. Like, but along the way, he's grown a strong attachment to, to Grogu. Yeah. And so did Grogu. It's become Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm-hmm. Where he's... Because he's, so the, the influences of this are really quite cool. Because there's been a lot of people, slightly younger than us, shall we say, who have been finally noting that Star Wars owes an awful lot to Kurosawa. Yeah. And you're like, this isn't a new thing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see Seven Samurai? You ever see Hidden Fortress? You know, George has been open about his uh, his influences long before this show. Yeah. But for the most part, it was hugely enjoyable. Do you think they should end The Mandalorian, though? Uh... Well, that is a question. So, will because we had the after credit scene, you did stick around for the after credit scene. I right? did stick around for the after credit scene. I always watch the credits for the Mandalorian. I was disappointed oh, yeah, just, that these last ones didn't have the pre-production repentance. No yeah. Yes. Yeah, that would have been nice. But um, yeah, so we got to see uh, uh, Big Boba Fett. Not Big, Bo- well, Big Bib. Big Bib Fortuna. Yeah, Bib Fortuna's had uh, a good five years, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Blimey, O'Reilly. What's he been eating? Sarlacc? I don't yeah, know. Probably. So is, is that is the implication, though, that everyone in Jabba's palace just Except stayed Jabba. in Jabba's palace long and so they just cleaned his body up? Maybe that's what they've done. Maybe they've just eaten Jabba. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and they were just so, sat there. You know, I... I really got to say that I like Ming-Na Wen. I mean, Love I really enjoyed her Ming-Na. on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep. And... Annie then... Loved her on Ea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and she's... God, she's like in her 40 or 50? Is she 50? She's in her late 50s. Wow. Still kicking She butt. had her 55th birthday not long ago. Mm. Do you know what I want? I want her... And Michelle Giorgio, not is it Giorgio? It is Giorgio. Yeah. I want that episode. <laughs> Giorgio from Discovery, and um, what's the name of the Shen Fight? Fenjaya, Fennec, Fennec, Fennec. Shan. I think. Yeah, something like that. I want those two to go head to head. I that'd be good. Yep. So yeah. so yeah, we're just gushing all over about how great. Mandalorian is so because it is, and the music's brilliant. And I like because you know what I like about it. You know, it's I ever complain about the music, but I'm like, you know what? It's nice to get something a little different. Yeah, that's that's one of the things as well. It's it's Michael, my son Michael described it as there's a Star Wars film going in the background that we're not seeing, and we are doing a we're doing a Rose and Scranton Guildenstern. We're watching the characters that you would normally just see in the bar or something, while Luke and Han or Ray and Finn or whatever are doing their business. And then we would normally follow them. Right. And in this show, we're following the people who are in the bar. So there's some major galactic stuff probably going on in the background that we're just not privy to because that's not where we're watching. So it's very clearly set in the Star Wars universe. But I don't find the fan service in this to be as bad as the fan service in the sequel trilogy. Do you know what I mean? It feels, it feels like it fits the, a lot better. It than feels it did in the sequels earned. Yeah. More than just, and maybe that's because they had more time. Yeah, possibly. Cause I mean, obviously in the real world, this would have been the prelude to the sequel trilogy, wouldn't it? And if they'd thought about this and done any level of planning whatsoever, Grogu would have played a part in the sequel trilogy because that would have just made people lose their minds. Well, earlier about that. So, okay, he Grogu's 50 years old. Yes. So in another 15 years, even whenever the Academy gets destroyed, roughly. Yeah. He would still be relatively a child 
Yes. So the so question Tyler is, kills will Baby he Yoda. still be in training? Will he be done? That that that's you know. See, I don't know. The, the only problem with with nine hundred years old, you reach look as good you will now. If he's fifty and still a toddler, yeah, it's another what a hundred years before he reaches his teens. You would think possibly, yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, it's not I, beyond the realms of possibility. I hope they save. Maybe he was, uh, you know, uh, he took a little leave or something and went and visited yeah. uh, his Mandalorian friend. Yeah, or he went and saw Yaddle. <laughs> Who everyone Mom. seems to. Have I've never seen you before. Not my yeah. kid. Because some people were nitpicking that um, Ahsoka said, I've only ever met one more of his kind. And everyone's saying, What about Yaddle? What about Yaddle? And I'm like, well, Ahsoka wasn't around in The Phantom Menace. Right. And Yaddle was nowhere to be seen in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. So presumably, Yoda knocked up Yaddle. And Yaddle had to go off to give birth to Grogu. Yeah, but that still doesn't work. That's still he's still too old. Or he's, he's still he, even because if he's fifty, like you know, you know, what I'm saying that 50. that time that timeline right. doesn't work. But our but but Anakin was only nine ten at the time of the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. So you're now looking at roughly fifty years later. And, you know, there could be some give or take there. Maybe you're only estimating he's about 50. Sure. We, we don't really know how the Yoda's age. Did we really need to know if he's the love child of Yoda? I know we do not, but I like to think that Yoda <laughs> and Yaddle, in the background, why Yoda was spouting all this monk bollocks that the Jedi sure, was following. Attachment? He, no. He, oh. Yeah, but around the back, him and Yaddle. <laughs> Having it away. Do Just like I Anakin say, and Padme. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, and that's why you ship Yaddle off, you see, because it was verboten. My God, you realize how long he'd have to pay for child support? That would be a long time. No wonder he went into hiding on Dagobah, dude. Or Dagobah, I go. <laughs> so he's hiding behind that will. dark side. He's hiding in that dark side cave, and Luke's assuming that it's to get away from the Empire. No, it's to get away from child support. <laughs> Yoda, he's like, oh, I see, Master Yoda. You're, you're, you're using the dark side. The mask. Yes, yes, I am. Correct, mm. you are. Mm. Mm. Very smart. Mm. Mm. Do that explanation, Will. Sucker, mm. <laughs> you are. Yes. <laughs> Child support I do not wish to pay. Mm. <laughs> oh, I can't believe we've turned Yoda into Superman in Superman Returns. Yoda the deadbeat dad. Oh, it's, this kind of stuff's full of him, isn't it? That's why he burned those books. Because that yes. was like that was that was the maternity record. <laughs> it actually had in the, one of those family trees. Yeah. Had in the Grogu was child of Yaddle and Yoda. And he's like, we're not on any of that page. Rip that out. <laughs> Have you read them? No? Good job. Good. Whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> page turners. They are not. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> oh, dear. So have they announced a season three of The Mandalorian? No, but they've announced the Book of Boba. They've announced the well, they didn't announce the so Book of Boba well, at that recent thing, no, did they? That Disney not. thing. But is that Mandalorian season three? I don't know. That is an exceptionally good question. Now, some people are saying that Mandalorian season three and the Book of Boba will are simultaneously because they both give the same date of mm. December twenty twenty one. So, okay. So, Bob is now going to be the big crime lord. Well, yeah, but how does that work? All he's done is walk to Jabba's palace. You're telling me Bib Fortuna took over Jabba's rackets? Nobody's going to respect or give a shit about Bib Fortuna. Yeah, but he knew where all the bodies were. He's He was Jabba's major domo. He's got all the dirt. He knows all the account numbers. Yeah. That's that's a way you could look at it. So, but that's, that's his, like, it just seems so petty for Boba Fett. Like, what is the big... Like, he seems to suddenly be this honorable character unless he just feels that 
maybe slighted because they didn't bother to try to get him out of the Sarlacc pit. Nobody came for know. him. Is it just? I, I can only assume. Yeah, I can only assume this will this will all come to pass in the book of Boba. But as it currently stands, as cool as it was seeing him walking into Jabba's palace, that was still like sequel level fan service. Yeah. And until we know how it's all going to unfold, we don't know what's going to happen. Because obviously Bob has walked in there, killed everybody, and sat on the throne as if announcing himself as the new Tatooine crime lord. Right. But are the, are the New Republic going to stand for that? Are the uh, New Republic going to let a new crime lord take over Tatooine? Is it, has the New Republic ever really cared about Tatooine? Well, you would imagine Luke has some connection with Tatooine. Well, obviously nobody's cared since Jabba died because Bib Fortuna just took over. Yeah. So they you accomplished know. nothing when they killed Jabba. Uh, pretty much. Another no. guy just rose up and took his place. Isn't that the way? Mm, yeah. This is the way? This is the way. Season two missed him. It missed I Have Spoken. I like him. Uh, but he got killed, didn't he? So, you know. Yeah. Such a shame. So, uh, hmm. So, yeah, we're going to have the other spinoffs of... Um, yeah, so you've got the Book of Boba Fett, which was not announced at the Disney Investor Day thing. But you have got Ahsoka. The Rangers of the New Republic, or yeah. New Republic Rangers or something. Rangers of the New Republic, which is a Mandalorian spin-off. Now, I thought that was the one that was going to replace Mandalorian, because it, it really feels like that story's done. Yeah, well, I mean, he's accomplished <laughs> his task. Yeah. He still hasn't found the rest of his people. He's kind of, yeah, but no, 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 but his story isn't done, because now... Now they're going to have heat between him and Bo, Bo-Katan because she was supposed to disarm and win the Darksaber. Yes, the Darksaber. Yeah, because because now I had not watched Rebels. Ben has. So, you yeah. know, she was given the Darksaber by Sabine in Rebels. She was. So the fact that she lost it, that so kind of the reason why she probably didn't take it from him is because she was given it before and she may be superstitious that the reason she lost it to fight for it is is yeah is because she never earned it before from from um when 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 it was given to her the first time so now technically he's the one that should be reuniting the mandos blah 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 which in all honesty he's probably the more level-headed of the mandos you know because we 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 saw the tension between boba and uh and bo katan Mm. and and her um second in command you know they had that little scuffle in in the bar and she even says she's you know if we had fought more if we had fought like this against the imperials we wouldn't have lost our planet Mm. so so yeah the whole thing it's it's almost like moff gideon uh like he just manipulated that whole thing he knew what she wanted he wouldn't give it to her you know he tried to trick um uh, uh, i can never remember the man mandalorian's name dinjarin yeah yeah so uh, yeah that that was a pretty good fight too with the uh with the Beskar spear versus the dark saber. Yeah. I I don't understand why they didn't just put a, a lightsaber through his head at the end. I don't know why they kept Moff Gideon around other than they well, like him. Information. Yeah, okay. You know, Cara Dune has to come back with something to, you know, go, well, you know, I lost this other prisoner. Wink wink nudge nudge. But I brought this one. But I look what I got instead. Yeah. So, yeah, and he's so, going to take the coward's way out, shooting himself in the man. Yeah, and she wouldn't let it. Yeah. So that was that was quite cool. But you think Moff Gideon would have had that that electric cyanide pill like the other guy did a few yes. episodes ago. Oh, my God. It was like when that guy did the bite down and all of a sudden, it's like his whole head lit up. Like, oof. Boy. Yeah, well, it was like it, it was almost akin to when Luke crushed that um, that dark trooper. 
with the force. That was cool. Because right. despite the, you not being able to see their face or anything, you could actually see in his face the panic of like, what's going on? <laughs> what? What? That was really good, yeah. So, all right, so maybe Rangers of the New Republic will be some kind of Mandalorian season three, or maybe that was Boba and they didn't want to mention it to spoil the surprise. I don't really care about the Rogue One spin-off with Diego Luna's character, Cassie Nando. Couldn't care less. They're all dead. Don't care. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of, it's like, what are you really, I mean... Yeah, you'll get some backstory, but did it really deserve a show? No. <laughs> What's the answer yeah. to that question? Uh, I'm interested in Obi-Wan Kenobi. I always have been, because Ewan. Uh, but the fact that Hayden Christensen's coming back as Darth Vader again. I've got a, a lot problem with say, that. Yeah, they, well, why have you got a problem with that? Because the line of dialogue in the film is, when I left you, I was but a learner. Now I am the master. Anakin was in no position to leave Obi-Wan at all. The last time we saw them together in Revenge of the Sith. As far as Obi-Wan's concerned, he leaves Anakin to die. So what you've got there is you've got the possible story potential of Obi-Wan learning that Vader lived and that it's Anakin. Mm-hmm. And there is scope there for a meeting between them. Because that line of dialogue doesn't match how we last saw them together. Now I know uh, that's because uh... George is king of the retcon. And we were all aware that when that line was written, Darth Vader wasn't Luke's dad. But it is now what it is. And that's clearly what he says. When I left you, I was but the learner. Vader didn't leave anyone. Obi-Wan left Vader with no arms, no legs, and burning to death. Now, he's going to carry a grudge about that, dude. Yeah, but I, I, I don't... Like, we've seen their... Okay, just like the fact that what's-his-name-is-dead, Luna... Okay, so we've seen, I mean, what, I guess they have to give Obi-Wan something to do, because really, the Obi-Wan show, what is he's just going to be, you know, episode one, I found a house. Today, I'm missing the lead jumper. You know, episode two, (laughs) I met the sand people. Jim Jackson Miller, John Jackson Miller wrote an excellent Kenobi novel, but the problem with it is it was basically a western Obi-Wan was the stranger who wandered into town just to do some negotiation for some water and shit, and he ends up being dragged into the town's problems, and he ends up being the new, the man with no name who helps this town with the problems and helps the widow with her children, and then wanders off back into the desert at the end of it. But they've done all that in The Mandalorian. Hmm. I mean, so, because he's supposed to be, all he's supposed to be doing is being low-key, making sure... No, no, nobody comes after Luke. I mean, he yeah. already fought Darth Maul in, yes. um, in, was that in Rebels. In Rebels. Was yeah. Yeah, it was in Rebels. So, yeah, so he's already met Darth Maul. So he's not doing that good a job at keeping a low profile. Although he doesn't live in the middle of nowhere. So no one's likely to have seen him. I just think that I, I get people's reticence about it. And you're like, well, why does he need to meet Darth Vader again? But that line of dialogue now doesn't jibe with Revenge of the Sith. So there is room there for, for, for there is wiggle room, basically. Well, I mean, I have no problem with, I, I know some people are like, oh, he's not that good of an actor. Da, da, da. Yeah. I mean, he's played Darth right. Vader. Yeah. yeah. He's, you know, he's fine. As long as he can wear the suit again, we're laughing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave Prowse is sadly no longer with us to be able to do it. Yeah, and we lost the original Boba Fett. Too. And we lost the original Boba Fett this past week, yeah. yeah. The Bad Batch, I couldn't care less about. Again, Clone Wars is over. Don't care. I have not even watched the new season of Clone Wars. Have you not? And... The, the last, just skip to the last four episodes. Honestly, okay. the, the first eight are really just all the stuff that you already knew about because they'd released the animatics and talked about it at conventions. But the last four weave in and out of Revenge of the Sith. Oh, basically, this is what Ahsoka was doing. This is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern again. Mm. This is what Ahsoka was up to while we were watching Anakin and Obi-Wan. And there are actually scenes in it where they talk to Obi-Wan. And he says, well, I have just landed on whatever planet I've landed on. Yeah, I have just landed on Mustafar. There are things I need to discuss with Anakin. But you go off and do this, young Ahsoka. That kind of thing. So it weaves in and out of Revenge of the Sith in quite clever ways, the last four episodes. So if you just skip to those last four, you won't miss anything, honest. Okay. And it shows you what Bo-Katan and uh, Ahsoka are all doing, and Rex as well, what they're all up to 
whilst uh, Revenge of the Sith is happening. Is Rex... Wait, Rex is still alive, isn't he? Yes, because Rex is in Rebels. So we could have Rex meet up with uh, Boba Fett. We could conceivably have Rex meet up with Boba Fett. Yeah? I bet I don't know if he's... Yes, he is still alive in Return of the Jedi. Because they've retconned... Well, yeah, because, because technically yeah. he's one of the guys on the planet yeah. when they go yeah, they've, to they've the... Yeah, they've retconned uh, the guy, an actor who just happens to, happens look, to look like him. And, and Dave Filoni said, yeah, that's Rex. So, okay. So he is alive at the time of Return of the Jedi, so conceivably he's still alive at the time of The Mandalorian. So they could conceivably meet each other, which would be... F- oh, there was a very funny line in The Mandalorian as well. They'd recognize my face. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, good. that was a good gag. I liked that. Uh, so I don't care about the bad about Star Wars Visions, there's not a lot out about that at the minute. It's just going to be an animated series. Mm. No idea. Yeah, like, so a, like a little vignette. Yeah, so until I know more about it... And then Acolytes... Um, I have no idea what that is. It's, mm. I, I don't know either. Not got a clue what the Acolytes... I don't know if they're Sith or if they're Jedi. don't know. Well, all it says here is a new series exploring dark side powers in the final oh. days of the High Republic. Okay. Oh, the High Republic. Um, they're going back yeah. to that. Yeah. So, uh, no idea. Lando. Uh, they have not announced that Donald Glover is coming back for that, but everyone's assuming that's a done deal. I personally would have preferred Solo 2. Electric Boogaloo? Yes, uh, Electric Falcon Lou. Because obviously there was a lot of setup in Solo that will now never get followed on, unless this is a stealth sequel to Solo. And Alden Aldenreich's going to be in it, and they're going to get Thingio back from Game of Thrones. If they're going to follow up on all of that in well, the know, Lando Just show. as long as they start it with like old Lando... Yes. Doing like a reminiscing, sitting there. I remember back in my days when I did this. And then that they little young girl that I just flirted with, who was apparently my daughter. What Let me tell you a story. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> was Wait, a bit weird. Suddenly we made him George Takai. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever. And there's the droid story, which is an R2D2C3PO animated series that I can't think we've seen before. Well, with old Dreaded Safflet. In a danger zone. Uh, well, sure. I guess we've—I think we've covered the gambit on our Star Wars talk. Yeah, because the thing with the Mandalorian is it—we're it, not really—we don't really have any hot takes that we can blast all over Twitter. Um, we both enjoyed yeah. it. We both yeah. thought it was really good. Minor issues hither and yon. I mean, you know, the ending was basically just Luke doing what they did with Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One. It was nice that they finally found ways for him to be able to take his helmet off in his own uh, head cannon, so to yeah. speak. You know, ways to, you know, he finally has bent a little bit on, on that. I mean, mm-hmm. I know the actor probably wanted to take his, I know that was some of the, the possible behind the scenes tension, you know. Well, yeah, so, but you know what you're signing up for, dude. Yeah, but then you get all these other Mandalorian characters come strolling in, taking their helmets off. I'd be a little pissed off, too. Uh, you know, but it also means that he doesn't even have to be there. We already know there is at least one complete episode that wasn't Pedro Pascal. Right. It was the one um, Bryce like, Dallas Howard directed in the first season. She, she quite, I don't know if she was supposed to say this, but she, is, she it like said John, in an interview, John yeah, I never Lee, met like Pedro Pascal. or something? Yeah. Yeah. She said, I never met Pedro Pascal. He was off doing a play. So like, how many other episodes is he not even there for? True. Yeah. So why does he get top billing? <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, he, could, he could conceivably not be in half the show and we would never know. But he took his he took his helmet off so that Grogu could see his face. Yeah, which was, oh, that was nice. I Very know, sweet. Just a big softy. And he took his helmet off when he had to get into the the Empire's Imperial Stronghold as well. Yeah. That's another thing I'm liking about this. I've just reread Her to the Empire, the Timothy Zahn novel. And mm-hmm. it does very much feel like the Empire of that book is the Empire that you're seeing in The Mandalorian. It's like mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, they killed the Emperor and they killed Darth Vader, but they've not wiped out the Empire. So now they've got to go around and mop up all these Imperial outposts all over the galaxy. And yeah, um, it feels very much like the same kind of deal. And I do love the, the little X-Wing patrols that we've seen. Just zip it in, zip it by. Yeah. Oh, that was another announcement as well, wasn't it? That wasn't a TV show. Patty Jenkins is doing Rogue Squadron. 
Oh yeah, yeah. That that made me sit up and take notice. I am interested in a Rogue Squadron film. Now, whether or not it's going to cast Wedge Antilles in it, recast Wedge, I don't know. Well, there's there's a there's a whole. I have all the a, a ton of books. Well, um, apparently, Patty Jenkins has been tweeting with. Is it Michael Stackpole who wrote yep, them? Yep, yep, yep. Has yep, been he, tweeting he with one of the of writers of the books. They about... did Rogue Squadron, and then they did. Uh, they had another one. They did did an offshoot. I believe it was Wraith Squadron, and yeah. it was a, no, they like did a lot, lot of the. It was a lot of the bit players from other, um, like like one of the guys that gets uh, like, what was his. Ty- Taiko Chelu, Chelu, he was on like the Battle of Hoth, and you know he yeah. got injured and didn't fly that day. So, you know, there's there's a lot. Uh, they were key in the um, in um, you know because you know at the end of the Return of the Jedi, you know, people on Coruscant and they're tearing down statues. No, 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 no. That's not what happened in the books. Okay, no. there was a long drawn out battle. You know, Rogue Squadron had to like infiltrate. There was a whole thing. Spoilers. There, there was a uh, super star destroyer buried underneath some of the actual city. It was it it served as a prison hmm. to where like key figures were kept, and you know that actually lifted off from the surface and destroyed a lot of you know cityscape. That yeah. it was under, you know, and and there was there was um there was a lot of books, a lot of books with with uh, with uh, Rogue Squadron. One called the Back to War because there was like a shortage of back to, um, a lot of good stories there. So that they could probably take that whole all those series and just adapt them into um into this into this new series. Mm. Yeah, and okay. yeah, Wedge was big in it. Although now they'd have to. But they just have to recast him. Yeah, Yeah. sure they could do that. I'm sure nobody's really crying out for Dennis Lawson to come back, especially given as he's he's actually publicly many many times said I'm not going back, and then he showed up for a a one line cameo, didn't he, in Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, but I doubt he'd come back for a series. And he's you know he's he's if Rogue Squadron's going to be set in and around the time of the originals, then he's 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 too old now. I think they had a. uh... That might have been in the comics. They had a um, they had a pilot that was a horse. He was like top half was a horse, like a horse uh, head a, with a humanoid body. And then they also had a was it a Ewok? There was a pilot. Hmm. And then I want to say they had they might have had a Gamorrean as a pilot too. Alright. It's it's been a long time since I read those. That was back. That was a lot. Yeah, I, I still have them all, but uh, yeah, that was been a long time ago. Right. In a galaxy far, far away. Oh, very, very near. Depending on your point of view. Yep. Yep. Uh, in, 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 so thank you. Minutes. Thank you, Doctor B. Always a pleasure. Anytime. Never a show. Anytime, anytime. Well, can, may as well pump, you, pump, you, pump, pump yourself. I don't think we want to see that. You can pimp yourself uh, if you are anywhere. <laughs> I don't know that you are anymore. Oh, uh, well, I'm with you on... Um, always with me. Always in my heart. <laughs> with our discussions of... Uh, as we wrap up, listen to the prophets and uh, our next little endeavor, which I guess we won't name yet. We haven't announced yet. We haven't announced yet. So yeah, let's not we'll trend yeah. Super secret squirrel yeah. on that one. Um, <laughs> secret squirrel. <laughs> but um, be, um, I'm always on back to the bins and pop up occasionally here and there. So that's about it. And it's always nice when you do. Alright. Well, thank you, uh, Andy. It's alright. Anytime. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that. That little off-the-cuff discussion was pleasurable to you at this Christmas time of year. This will probably be the last episode of 2020. Thank God 2020 is over. Obviously, you know, there's no guarantee 2021's going to be any better. But it will all be okay. (laughs) God, I hope so. 
Take care. This is just a big thank you to everyone who listens to this drivel. I appreciate you all. You are all in my heart at this time of year. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for any of the feedback that you give. And I hope that next year is better than this one. Take care. See you soon. Goodbye. Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile lost the wheel to the Joker. Got away.